Remain standing for our gospel lesson and sermon text, again, from Luke chapter 1. This is the gospel of our God, so give it your ear. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your word. May we do so with the same faith that Mary had as she considered and then did your word. And so make us hearers and doers of your word by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, accomplishing these things. We ask for it in the name of Jesus for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. Before I launch into the sermon, I want to encourage uh, everyone to start thinking about in the new year, reading through the Bible, uh, Merlene Prince in, well, she, now she sends emails out now and we put it in the newsletter, readings that you can do every day to read through the Bible in a year. And we're going to do a new program this year, a, a different uh, read through the Bible uh, program schedule and I'm going to do it, my family is going to do it, and I encourage you all, if you don't have one, to do that, and if there are a few of us doing it together, we'll be reading the same text, and this particular one that we're going to send out, Marlene's going to send it out, and, and we'll, we'll kind of advertise it in the next few days and weeks. It's four different readings a day, and then there's like a grace period at the end of each month to catch up, so 
my family is going to do it, and if you all do it, let me know, and we will have some things to talk about, scriptures that we're reading together through the, through the year. When God sent Gabriel, this angel, from heaven to earth to announce the incarnation, he didn't send this angel to the wise and to the rich, to the able. God didn't send Gabriel to Judea, where all the important people lived. He didn't send Gabriel, as we said last week, to Jerusalem, where the temple and the Sanhedrin were. The angel bypassed Judea for Galilee, and he bypassed the city of Jerusalem for the backwater village of Nazareth. He, he bypassed all the people of status in Israel and came instead to a young virgin, a poor nobody from Nazareth who was destined to marry a poor nobody from Nazareth and with whom she would have many poor children. And we see here that the greatest news ever proclaimed to God's people came to one of its lowliest members, a female from Nazareth. And Nazareth, of course, was considered sort of the the armpit of Israel. A, A poor and very young woman from this place would have had virtually no social standing. And her song that comes a little later in Luke 1, Mary magnifies God. She rejoices in God, her Savior. Why? Well, she says it's because he has looked on the humble estate of his bondservant, maidservant, slave. Mary, in her humility, sees herself as a bondservant, a slave. Do you? Now, God could have sent Gabriel to a rich Jewish girl somewhere, you know, the daughter of a well-known religious leader perhaps, but instead, as Luther put it, God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation teaches us that the gospel comes to needy people, to the poor in spirit, to those who know their spiritual destitution. God abhors the proud. He abhors the self-sufficient. He brings down self-made men. But he exalts the poor in spirit. He raises up those who know how dependent they are on God for anything good. Later in her song, Mary says, The Lord has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he has exalted those of humble estate. God sent his son into the world to break down, to bring down the proud. And he sent his son to a world that was in need of being brought down. Into a world that was proud in the thoughts of our hearts. Jesus came to save a people who are inclined to exalt ourselves. We love to sit on the thrones of our own making, the thrones of our own kingdoms that we build. 
Oftentimes in Scripture, the poor in spirit are also the poor in pocketbook. And oftentimes the haughty, the rich in spirit, are those who are rich in pocketbook. But it doesn't always work that way. Those with little or no earthly possessions can also be proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And those of us with many earthly possessions can recognize by God's grace how low we are and how high God is. It's true that it's harder for wealthy people like us to enter into the kingdom of God. But with God, all things are possible. All things will be possible, as Mary says. And if, if God can become man, then God can conquer the heart of prideful man in all its forms. Today's passage brings us low for the purpose of exalting us. Gabriel's gospel humbles us so that it can go on to truly bless us, raise us up. And so as we walk through this passage, which is classically called the Annunciation because it it records Gabriel's announcement of the gospel to Mary, we'll observe the, the pulse of Mary's heart. And we'll see that in many ways, Mary is a model for how to humbly receive the word of truth as a bondservant, as a slave of, of God. And it turns out that believing in the impossible is essential to being poor in spirit. Believing in the, believing the impossible is essential to being poor in spirit. Humbling ourselves before God means believing whatever he says is true, even if it leaves us with some questions, as it did Mary. Last week's sermon on this same passage was an extended meditation uh, on Gabriel's announcement of the Incarnation. And we explored the question, what does it mean that the Most High has become most low? We, we considered three implications. Number one, it means that God is higher than we thought. Number two, it means that we are lower than we thought. Number three, it means that God is more loving than we thought. The gospel is greater than we imagined. Now, today's sermon will be an extended meditation on Mary's response to this good news, to this message from Gabriel. We'll explore, explore the questions What is the right response to the incarnation? And what does it look like to respond with saving faith to the news that the Most High has become most low? That God has become human. He has taken on our flesh. Our gospel lesson teaches us that the servant of God responds to the gospel with sober judgment, sincerity, and then submission. We see all three of these qualities in Mary. She responds with sober judgment, sincerity, a sincere heart, honesty, we could say there, and then submission. And as we, as we ponder this passage, 
my prayer as I was preparing is that as we ponder this passage, that the, we would become humble bondservants of the Most High God, that the good news would conquer the prideful thoughts of our hearts so that we submit as slaves to the, to the Most High so that he can exalt us and raise us up. First, let's think about what it means to respond to the gospel with sober judgment. In verse 28, the angel said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The description of Mary's response in verse 29, it comes across a little bit awkwardly, maybe, to us in our translations. She was troubled at this saying, uh, one translation says, and considered what manner of greeting this was. This almost gives the impression that the, the angel, the, that angels have different kinds of greetings, and Mary's trying to figure out, you know, which one was this, and like this taxonomy of angel greetings. But the point of verse 29 is that Mary was perplexed. There was a, there was a certain amount of fear, too. She was also perplexed. She was full of confusing wonder, we might call it, and some fear. And this wonder was, was due to the, what, what's happening. The angel has come to her, of all people. And, so her, and her, her wonder was occasioned by the character of the, the, of the greeting, this angel's greeting, Gabriel's greeting. When he came to her, he addressed her, this lowly girl, young woman from Nazareth, in exalted terms. And he indicated to her that she was chosen to serve God in a very special way. He declared twice in this passage that she is favored by God. Mary is surprised by this. Because there's nothing about her that is especially noteworthy. She knows that she's not, in herself, worthy of, of God's favor. God's special love for Mary is inexplicable. It's unfathomable. She hasn't done anything to deserve this. And this leads her to humbly discern what Gabriel's greeting might mean. And her sober judgment of herself is going to lead her to the correct conclusion that God's love and mercy are even greater than she thought. And she's going to confess soon that she is a servant. That God is king, that she is a servant. This doesn't give her the wrong impression. She remains sober-minded. And there's, there's a diagnostic that you can run to determine the greatness, or as the case may be, the, the weakness of your faith in Christ. So, so do you want to know what, what kind of grade your faith gets? Are you interested in finding out how well you get the gospel? There's a simple test. It'll show you how big your faith is. It'll demonstrate how much or little you believe. It'll reveal truly how high you think God is and how low you think you are. And here's the diagnostic. I'll present it as a, in the form of a question. To what extent do you think of yourself more highly than you ought? 
You only understand the richness of God's grace, his grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ, insofar as you understand your poverty apart from the gospel, apart from Christ, knowing that you can do nothing apart from Christ, as Jesus put it in John 15. The extent to which you think of yourself with sober judgment is the extent to which you truly get, truly believe the good news. Paul says in Romans 12, 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. The two greatest preachers of the 18th century, the 1700s, were John Wesley and George Whitfield. Wesley was an ardent Arminian. Whitfield was a committed Calvinist. Each of them used, at, at, especially early on in their lives, strong language to, to express theological disagreement with the other. But eventually these two men learned to respect each other, even if many of their followers did not learn to do so. And the story is told of, Whit, of one of Whitfield's pupils, followers, who was still harboring some animosity toward, against Wesley, and gripped with resentment, this pupil, this pupil asked George Whitfield, we won't see John Wesley in heaven, will we? Whitfield humbly replied, no, we won't see him in heaven. He'll be so close to the throne of God and we'll be so far away that we won't be able to see him. Now, no doubt Whitfield said this in, in no small part for the spiritual benefit of his proud follower who needed a dose of humility. But the, the records show that Whitfield had come to realize that he, and not Wesley, was the chief of sinners. At one point when Wesley appeared to be near death, he actually pulled out of it, but it looked like he was about to die. Whitfield wrote him a letter and said this, A radiant throne awaits you, and ere long you will enter into your master's joy. Yonder he stands with a massive crown, ready to put it on your head amidst an admiring throng of saints and angels, end quote. Whit Whitfield might not have been able to say these sorts of, this sort of thing earlier on in his life about Wesley, but in his wiser and more sanctified, humbler later years, Whitfield had come to know of his lowness, his depravity, his spiritual poverty, rather than everyone else's. With Paul, Whitfield came to see himself as the foremost sinner. I'm the problem. Another way of putting this is that Whitfield, <clears throat> excuse me, Whitfield became more rational. He gained a tighter grasp on reality. As he grew in Christ, he saw more clearly and believed more deeply what was true all along. 
he didn't deserve the favor that God had shown him. There was no one on earth more undeserving of salvation than he was. Whitfield was so gripped by the freeness of the gospel, so convinced that he didn't do anything at all to merit it, that he was able to think of himself with sober judgment. It also enabled him to think of his theological rival with charity rather than bitterness. In addition to having sober judgment, Mary displayed a sincere heart. A servant of God will respond to the gospel with sincerity, with honesty. To see Mary's honesty, let's look first at Gabriel's words in verses 30 to 33, and then Mary's response in verse 34. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? I have not known a man. So Mary didn't get it. It, it didn't make scientific sense to her and she honest honestly here expresses her confusion to God in verse 34 how will this be many have asked what the difference is between Mary's question here and Zechariah's question a little bit earlier in the same chapter earlier in in Luke 1 an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah Uh, For all we know, the same angel. And this angel told Zechariah that he was going to have a son. Zechariah's response was, how will will I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And in response, the angel, you remember, tells Zechariah, you know, you're not going to be able to speak. And so he's unable to speak until John, the son, is born. Until the prophecy is fulfilled. So why is Zechariah judged for asking his question, while Mary, who seems to ask a, a similar question, is commended for her faith? There's a, there is a basic difference in these two questions. Mary's question is, how will this be? Zechariah's question, in essence, is, how can this be? Zechariah is asking for confirmation. That's, that's the, the nature of his question is, you know, I need confirmation because he's doubting the possibility of this thing. Mary, on the other hand, isn't asking for confirmation through a sign. She assumes it'll happen, but she's got sincere questions about the manner in which it will happen. She, she has no idea how this is possible. Zechariah is incredulous. He seems to have forgotten the biblical precedent in the Old Testament for older, barren women conceiving. Going all the way back to Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel in the book of Genesis and Hannah and Samuel. On the other hand, there's no biblical precedent for a virgin conceiving. It's never happened before. There's a prophecy about it, but it's never happened. And Mary is simply reminding the angel that her circumstance, you know, of her circumstances. 
that as one who has never had sexual relations with a man, her circumstances make the angel's announcement physically impossible. Mary is willing to believe the impossible, but she's got questions. She's got intellectual questions for God and his angel. It's not as though Mary has no doubts, okay? Um, she, she very well could have prayed that prayer that we see in the Gospels. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. That's, in every believer, there always exists belief and unbelief together. Until, until we are glorified. And they'll be at war with each other until we, until we go to be with the Lord. The problem is when this prayer turns into, I don't believe, Lord, help me believe. That was, that was more Zechariah's prayer. I don't believe, help me believe. But Mary's prayer was, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Do you see the difference between those two prayers? Those two requests. I don't believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. Help me believe is the prayer of of a skeptic. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief is the prayer of a sincere believer. It's it's faith-filled and honest. And we should imitate Mary here. Ask your questions to God. He, He can handle your questions. But ask them as one who is willing to believe whatever he says. Whatever the answer is. Whatever the truth is. Whatever your word says, Lord, I'm going to believe it. But but I do have this question about this or that or the other thing. About how it's possible to believe this particular thing. Mary's response in verse 34 is an example of of what real people who respond to the gospel do, how we think. She wrestles, she struggles, she asks, she brings her questions to God, or in this case, to the angel, God's representative, with sincerity, with honesty, with humility. After Mary responds with sober judgment and sincerity, she submits. A servant of God always responds to the gospel with submission. Sober judgment and sincerity always lead to submission. Look with me at verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth In her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, okay, here's Mary's response. Behold, I am the bondservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed, excuse me. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to what you have said. That's her prayer. That's her confession. And so realize what Mary is saying here, though, with this confession. We kind of tend to 
romanticize this without thinking about the context. She's about to become an unwed mother. She's about to have a baby out of wedlock in an extremely traditional culture, which is to say Mary is about to become an outcast. There's no way she can control the impact that that this will have on her reputation, on her life. She'll be despised by those closest to her. Many in her own family won't believe her when she tells them, you know, I'm pregnant and I'm a virgin. Why would anyone believe that? So when she says, let it be, what she's what she's saying there is, let me be disgraced by society. Let me be ostracized by friends. Let me be shamed by family members because I'm the Lord's servant. And that's all that matters. And so she did find joy in this, the way, you know, we think this is a joyful thing, this announcement. She did find joy in it, but it was because her joy was in the Lord and not her circumstances. She also knew that she would probably lose Joseph, right? Who would no doubt want to divorce her when, she, when he found out she was pregnant. And she had no way of knowing that, that Joseph is, was going to get a similar message from an angel to confirm this. And if Joseph had not received that revelation, he would have divorced her. Matthew's gospel tells us this. And then she would have had to fight all of her life just to stay on the lip of poverty. So be it, Mary says. I'm a servant of Yahweh, a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to his word. Mary's basic orientation to God is one of submission. She sees what God wants to do and what he's calling her to do. And she finds her joy and satisfaction in doing that thing instead of something else. She sees what God wants to do and what he's calling her to do. And she finds her joy and her satisfaction in doing that thing instead of something else. For all Mary knows, her her circumstances are about to crumble quickly and permanently. Her financial and social worlds are about to disintegrate. What if Mary's joy had been anchored in her marriage to Joseph? What if her contentment had been dependent on her reputation as a faithful woman of God, a sexually pure Jewish woman? What if the source of her hope and satisfaction and personal peace had been earthly, on, you know, based on earthly things rather than on heavenly things? Or what if Mary, like a lot of Christians, had viewed God as her servant? We're all tempted to view God as our bondservant, our slave, whose primary job is to order our lives the way we would like or to help us do what we want to do. In that case, Mary might have come to the conclusion that God had betrayed her. But as soon as Mary recognized that God is calling the shots and that she's the submissive bondservant, she became free. She became free. And, and you might be tempted to think, well, yeah, but, I mean, this is, this is huge. Like, you know, she gets to be a part of 
redemptive history in a special way, and that just trumps all of these other concerns. Well, does it for you? Does it for me? That, you know, we, have, we have the gospel. We have the same good news. Yeah, we don't get to be a part of it in the particular way Mary did, but we have, we, we know more than Mary did at this point. And is it, is it the controlling factor? Is it, does it trump everything else the way we would maybe expect it to for Mary in this situation? When you're worried about whether the universe is going to conform to your reality in some manner, in, in, in some particular matter, you're in the worst kind of bondage. Mary had become free to be a servant of God. When you're worried about the universe being your servant, God being your servant, then you're in the worst kind of bondage. When you set your heart on this thing or that thing, it doesn't matter what it is. When you set your heart on anything earthly, anything other than Christ, the Lord, and his will, you commit yourself to a life of joylessness, dissatisfaction, and bondage. But as soon as you recognize that God is God and that you're a bondservant, as, as soon as you can say with Mary, I'm the Lord's servant, let it be according to his word. Whatever he says, you are free in a way very few people on planet Earth are free. True liberation, which is to say true joy, contentment, satisfaction, only comes by submitting to God's will. Submission is the path to freedom. The lessons in this passage take us back to the basics of the Christian faith. That's, that's what we've been talking about here, the basics of our faith. The good news requires response. It requires our response. The message of Jesus is only good news to those who respond to it with sober judgment, sincerity, and submission. The half-gospel message is come to God as you are. The full-orbed gospel message is come to God with a sober judgment about how undeserving you are of his favor. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Recognize that he is most high and you are most low and that you are in need. The half-gospel message is come to God with your doubts. The main thing God wants from you is just your honesty. That's the half-gospel. The full-orbed gospel message is come to God with your faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek him, Hebrews eleven six. If you come to God in faith, you can bring the sincere questions you're wrestling with. You can be brutally honest with God. But, but don't come to him saying, I don't believe, help me believe. Come to him saying, I believe, help my unbelief. 
In faith, tell God you're confused, and he'll show you the way. He'll open your eyes so that you can see the wondrous things that you've never seen before. He blesses those who seek him in faith. The half gospel message is God wants to do wonderful things for you. The full-orbed gospel message is God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 5-7. Submit to God and be at peace with him. And this way, prosperity will come to you. Job 22 21. Treat God as God and recognize that you are his servant. When you do this, God will accomplish incredible things in you and through you and for you. He will exalt you. It'll be on his terms, though, not yours. But you'll be okay with that because you will have been liberated from building your own kingdom, sitting on your own throne, from finding your joy and satisfaction in being your own God. Like Mary, you will have found your contentment, your peace in being with God, in being God's servant, and doing His will. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be according to His word. This is the response of someone who has been transformed from the inside out by the gospel. By the gospel that Paul says has the power for salvation, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes the impossible. You may be thinking, well, I'm, I'm no Mary. She had sober judgment. She had sincere faith. She had a submissive spirit. I struggle, but, you know, this is Mary. She's a super saint, and I'm not. No, actually, Mary is just a recipient of God's grace, just like you. Do you remember how Gabriel greeted her? Greetings, O favored one. The, the phrase favored one there is one word in the Greek and at the root of this one word is the Greek word meaning grace gift and inherent to that word is is this idea of the freeness of the gospel the freeness of God's free gift Grace is God's self-gift to his people. It's God's gift of himself, and he had given himself to Mary. It's, it isn't earned. It's completely free. It comes entirely from the outside. It doesn't come at all from within, this grace. It comes from the outside in, and then it transforms from the inside out. So Mary isn't favored because of anything she's done, anything she's accomplished. She's been graced, we might say. Mary was great 
because God came to her. She was blessed among women because it was God's desire to bless her so. God doesn't come to you because you're great. He he comes to you even though you're not great. And he accomplishes great things in you and through you and for you by his grace. Mary was favored by God before she had done anything to earn God's favor. In fact, Mary has never, to this day, never done anything to earn God's favor. She was and is a recipient of God's gift of himself, a recipient of God's saving grace. And this enabled her to say to God, I'm your servant, let it be according to your word. Are you willing to say this to God? Are you willing to surrender yourself to whatever it is God has ordained for you? Have you relinquished control of your life? Are you content to let your life unfold according to God's will? Are you willing to do that even if God's will is at odds with the life you had planned? The one you had planned for yourself. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say to God in all sincerity and submission, I'm your servant. Let it be in this situation or that situation at work or in my family according to your word. Not my will, but your will be done. This is the most important, this is the most advanced response to God. When you learn this response, when you can speak Mary's words to God with integrity, then you will have learned true submission. You will have gained true freedom. And you will have found true joy. Let me give you a minute to let that sink in and I'll say it again. When you learn this response, when you can speak Mary's words to God with integrity, then you will have learned true submission. You will have gained true freedom. And you will have found true joy. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for recording this story, this event for us in Holy Scripture so that we can meditate on your promises, so that we can meditate on the goodness of you and the goodness of your gospel and so that we can remember reflect on what it means to respond to this gospel that is saving us, that has saved us and that is saving us and that will save us. And we pray that you would use your word and the spirit in us who inspired your word to accomplish in us genuine faith, deep faith, that we would 
cast aside, put to death all of our self-trust, our self-sufficiency, and that we would trust only in you, that we would not think more highly of ourselves than we ought, and that we would not think more lowly uh, of you than we ought. And so help us to exalt you in our hearts and in our lives to magnify Christ Jesus, our Savior and our Lord and our King. And we pray in his name. Amen.